Welcome to our podcast series, What Matters. Every week, we'll be discussing a key issue and why it matters right now. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Jonathan Beach, who's Managing Director of Specialist Immigration Law Firm Migrate UK, to talk to us about Brexit and the possible impact it might have on businesses in the UK. Jonathan, everyone's talking about what the government's announced overnight uh, with regards to employee rights and people's rights of uh, abode in the UK with the announcement from Theresa May. Uh, You're clearly on the ground here on this issue. You you work uh, as an immigration advisor to some of the world's largest organisations and also for individuals who are considering coming to work Uh, in the UK. Uh, What are the key drivers for people coming to Britain now, as opposed to what you've been seeing in the last couple of years? And to what degree is all this change having an impact? Well, the main drivers for people come to the UK um, have been to take up jobs. Most people have already got jobs before they arrive in the UK. Um, there have been a lot of job seekers, um, a large majority of being students, and then you've got people joining family um, and looking to retire in the UK as well. Um, but what we've been finding um, since the announcement, the, the actual um, referendum vote, um, is that there has been um, a big drop-off, um, certainly from the um, European Union, um, of um, people coming to the UK um, and actually taking up um, definite jobs. Um, when we look at the um, ONS stats that um, actually measure migration up until the year end December 2016, um, what we found is that there has been a big drop off, certainly from the EU8 countries um, coming to the UK and taking up definite jobs. Um, so if we look at some examples, EU8 countries would include um, Lithuania, Poland, Slovakia, Hungary, and the Czech Republic. Um, and it's one of the, the, the most stark statistics here is that if we look at um, the year-end 2015, there was a a plus figure of 46,000 EU8 countries coming to the UK, um, but up until 2016 December, um, it was at 5,000, a massive drop. So um, there's also been, um, which has been um, statistically important, there has been a drop in the number of people coming here to seek employment. Um, Most people coming here have got jobs to come to. Um, We have seen a drop off um, in student numbers from the European Union as well. Um, So yes, there have been some big changes. It's too early to say whether this is a long-term trend um, that it can be attributed to um, Brexit, but um, it it will be worth looking at the uh, statistics again when they're announced in August this year. I know that there's been a lot of criticism levelled at the UK residency forms as being very complex and lengthy. Uh, That clearly is an off-putting factor and the cost as well, indeed. But there's also been quite a lot of negative publicity about living in the UK as a European, 
and individual nationalities being targeted and not a very friendly place to go to, um, wh whether you're coming to work or whether you're coming as a student. Is, is this actually having a, a tangible impact on the ground as you see it? Well, it is. Um, I mean, we, we work with organisations in the UK that are high, um, have a, a large proportion of highly skilled um, workers. Um, and we are finding that, um, that Brexit is having a detrimental effect um, on organisations, um, especially um, when you look at their ability to retain and recruit um, skilled um, employees. Um, we're finding this is especially true with high tech and science sectors, where EU workers are actually feeling rather alienated and, and unwanted. Um, they're worried about the um, UK economy post-Brexit, job security, um, possible financial crisis, um, which obviously hasn't happened yet, um, but they're still worried about it, and the way that it could affect the value of their investments in the UK. Um, so what we're finding is that organisations are, are advertising um, vacancies and often turning to highly skilled non-EU workers to take on their vacancies um, and they, they've been advertising for many many months um, so this is this is what we are finding we have been working with organizations that have have lost a high proportion of their workforce as a result um, th there has historically been a lot of red tape um, to jump through um, in terms of getting permanent residency in the UK uh, for EU workers. Um, there has been a, a big 85-page application form that's extremely confusing, confusing that needs to be sent in with evidence of your five years of continuous stay in order to get permanent residence. Um, but the government have already made inroads to change that. Um, in, in November 2016, an online application form was, um, was introduced, which is much quicker, much easier to understand. Um, and again, in, in the last month, um, it's been up updated again um, to make it um, easier um, because what was putting a lot of EU workers off was the fact that they had to fill out all of their absences from the UK in the last five years. Um, that has now been taken away um, to streamline the process. Um, the, the other thing that has been introduced um, back again is in the last six months is a what we call a, a European passport return service. Um, one of the, the points that has been turning EU workers off applying for permanent residency and securing their status in the UK is the fact that when they had to apply for, for PR, they had to send in their national ID card or original passport um, with the application, which means they could have um, been without it for up to six months or more. They wouldn't have been able to travel. Um, but this new service, uh, or recently um, put in service, does allow them to keep their original documents throughout. So there have been positive measures put in, um, and, and I do expect this to continue um, for at least the next couple of years. Thank you for that. And of course, complexity is off-putting for everyone, whether it's an individual filling in an extremely complicated form or whether it's an entrepreneur, someone thinking of coming to the UK to set up a business. As it stands at the moment, a French entrepreneur could take the Eurostar, come to London, and without too much difficulty, uh, set up a business. Likewise, a British person could go to France and do the same because as Europeans, this was part of the freedom, part of the, the whole package. What might happen, do you think, post-Brexit when it comes to European entrepreneurs wanting to either come to the UK or indeed British entrepreneurs wanting to set up in Europe? 
Yeah, post post Brexit, they could be. There's a possibility of a, a stark difference. And in fact, I, I personally had experience of um, of going to France and setting up as an entrepreneur there, and and it is relatively straightforward, and it would be exactly the same for a French citizen coming to do it in the UK. But the reality is, is that although we don't know um, what is going to happen to the UK immigration system once. Um, we have cut ties with the European Union. Um, it is clear that there will be some kind of points-based system or work permit system that will encompass um, the whole world. Um, but we don't know whether it's going to be a one or two stage process, whether it will affect European citizens differently, whether there'll be a calling off period. But if we look at it as it is at the moment, the only thing we can really comment on is that the if it if we were looking at the entrepreneur scheme for non-EU workers, if, if this French entrepreneur had to move into the um, entrepreneur system that would be um, uh, attributed to, for example, a US citizen in the UK, it would be extremely hard and it would put them off. Um, if we look at the, the current situation, there, there are only a couple of thousand entrepreneur applications made um, in the UK each year. This has been a steady decrease since 2012. Um, and there are extremely high refusal rates. This visa category has got one of the highest refusal rates um, in any UK immigration category. Um, at the moment, um, only about 45% of entrepreneur applications are being approved. And, and, and the reasons, the main reasons for refusals are including the fact that there are poor business plans being provided. Um, the person who's coming here hasn't got enough exposure to the UK market. They haven't set up a network. They haven't been looking into professional services or dealing with potential clients. Um, their qualifications and level of experience don't match expectations of the business they're going to set up. Um, and sometimes the Home Office might think, well, the only reason they're coming to the UK is that they're only interested in settling here. Um, they're not looking at um, employing settled workers, upskilling the UK market um, and when interviewed they cannot back up their claims for, for business growth or, or show that entrepreneurial spirit. So there is this and, and this is public knowledge and it, and it is enough to put off um, those who are genuine entrepreneurs um, and want to come into the UK. So I would love to see this matter being addressed. Yes, I, I'm sure many entrepreneurs and, and business people feel the same way. Might there be a certain amount that an individual could have to invest in order to have the privilege, if you like, of, of setting up in, in Europe? Well, that again, that's that's the other a massive difference is that uh, there's only a minimal amount of money that would be needed to set up a business in the UK for an e EU entrepreneur. Um, if we're looking at a non-EU entrepreneur, um, we're looking at a minimum of £200,000 to invest in a new or existing business where that person would need to be a director um, or set up a self-employed. So it, it's, a, it's a massive amount of money um, to, to, to put forwards again it might have to change. Um, they might lower it for EU or ex-EU. They might keep it the same for um, all the other countries, but this needs to be seen. But one thing the UK needs to be doing, of course, is attracting business and trade. Um, so yes, we hope this is gonna be one of the matters that will be addressed sooner rather than later. Yes, indeed. And as an advisor to larger employers, who clearly just want to attract and retain the best talent and don't look at it from a borders point of view. Uh, as it currently stands, if they're bringing in people from outside of Europe, there's an 
annual fee, which I understand has increased quite significantly recently. Am I right in assuming that there would be some sort of a fee potentially applied to EU workers? And if that's the case, is that going to bother these employers or when it comes to ensuring they get the right people is is they will they just see it as some sort of an admin fee and it won't be a big deal yes um just building on that that fee what, what's happened is um an annual fee has been introduced from the 6th of april 2017 which um the, the main the main one here is is called a skills charge um, and this is for organizations that sponsor um, non-EU citizens to come here, um, like the old work permit schemes, so they're sponsored to come here. Now large organisations will, um, they, they currently have to pay a thousand pounds per year per worker um, f on, in addition to the visa fees and any other health surcharges they have to pay um, and it's £364 for all other um, organisations with less than 250 staff. Um, and there is another um, surcharge that's been um, introduced for intra-company transfer migrants um, from outside the EU as well which is £200 per year per worker plus dependent. Um, so it is a huge amount of money. Um, it is a fairly recently um, introduced um, scheme, um, so we haven't seen a massive impact um, at the moment. Not certainly not as serious as we expected, but it is something that is likely to be introduced um, for EU workers um, once the cut-off date has been reached or once the calling-off period has passed. Um, I mean, the thing is, for a lot of the smaller companies that we work with, the, the main aspect is that the fee alone um, is not enough to change their recruitment practice. Um, the skills that are being recruited are nearly always highly skilled, um, so the, the role is at um, degree level or above. Um, and employers have been seeking settled workers for vacancies for, for around about nine months. Um, the actual process of sponsoring, so for example, obtaining a sponsor license for an organisation, showing that they have advertised the vacancy and, and jumping through all the other legal hoops is normally enough to put employers off. So an extra charge is not going to sway them if the candidate is spot on um, and they're the only person that's been identified. Um, for larger organisations who often send intra-company transfers to the UK, for example IT companies, there has been a slight shift. Um, on the whole, they're swallowing the, the charges. Um, however, they're also trying to take advantage of some of the transitional arrangements in place. So um, there are some employees who are exempt from the charge and these include um, employees or prospective employees who are already residing in the UK um, and able to extend their stay or, or change their immigration status. Um, and thankfully, um, there are a lot of um, employees who are completely exempt from the new charges, and these tend to be those who are recruiting for PhD level vacancies, um, so biotech and pharma industries. Um, but to summarise, yes, um, unless there is a, a radically rebuilt immigration system, um, it, it is likely there will be charges introduced for, for everyone. And at the end of the day, it's, it's an expensive system to administer, so I don't expect this to be done for free. Lots of questions, that's uh, clear. Lots yes. of answers <laughs> needed. Uh, so we had the announcement last night. We obviously know what the final cut-off date is going to be. When it comes to this whole issue uh, around um, the, the immigration policies, the impact and business and so on, 
Is there a point in time, a milestone, when you expect that things are going to start to be a bit clearer? Because I imagine your clients, like everyone, really want to know as soon as possible what's going to be happening. How quickly will we know this? It's it's interesting. This has been one of the first matters to be discussed with the EU um, because it is what you know even outside of immigration circles is what everyone is talking about they want to have some kind of certainty we're looking at three million plus eu citizens and who are living in the uk working families students um the uncertainty is the worst thing it, it could be many many months more before we have a definitive idea um to what is going to be set out um to be honest with you we could be looking beyond um march 2019 if there's some kind of cooling off period it's it's very difficult to say but it, it does seem from from the the you know the, the wheel the, the cogs are turning on this one very early in the process um it would be very very nice to know that within six months there is something that has been ticked off by both sides um and it has been agreed um what what is likely um is that um those eu citizens currently in the uk and those eu citizens who come in before the 29th of um, march 2019 which is kind of seen as the the cutoff date they will be able to carry on regardless um, as a european who is exercising treaty rights so they'll be able to take up jobs set up a self-employed study be self-sufficient retire in the uk so it looks as though they're going to be they're, they're going to be okay this is what's being negotiated at the moment um, but it's all about time scales is it going to be ha- having to be done within the next two years um, the worry is of course is there going to be a, a, a hard cut-off? Will there suddenly be a, a large influx of European citizens coming into the UK and, and also British going over to the European Union a, a few weeks before the cut-off? How are they going to manage this? Again, more questions than answers. Yes, I saw a, a date, sounds like it was quite a hopeful date, that they will have made considerable progress on this whole issue by the end of the summer is is that a bit optimistic do you think i think uh, personally i think it would be optimistic um and if if it if it does get um arranged then it'll be fantastic news for everyone concerned um but there's also the other um, aspect is what will be the system in place for those eu citizens after this cut-off date um is there going to be an immigration scheme in place that is going to cater for them? Are there going to be specific skills that are needed from the EU in the UK? Or are they going to have to be met and, and looked at the same way as every other non-European? Um, so that, again, it's it's such a wide-ranging uh, topic to look at. Um, but if we can look at discussions um, agreed um, for the current EU citizens um, and protecting their rights and also British citizens' rights in the EU um, by the end of the summer, well, that would be, personally, I think it would be amazing and be very, very welcome. Indeed. Well, thank you so much for joining me here today perhaps be interesting to connect with you at some point in the autumn just to see how it's all unfolding absolutely i mean that that's right there will be i mean obviously this is going to be um developing more over the um over the summer and also what will be interesting for us is there will be fresh statistics being announced at the end of the summer um which will give more insight to movements of, of british and eu nationals um 
um, for for the uh, the next uh, well for for the quarter after. So we're looking probably until around about March 17. So we can see we'll have more of an insight to the effect that Brexit has had. That will be very interesting. Jonathan Beach from Migrate UK, thank you very much for taking this time with us here today. You're very welcome. Thank you.